Good morning, Woodland Hills. How are y'all doing this morning? I will second that opinion of Nimi's that uh, I was also at the U2 concert. One of my friends drank the Kool-Aid and she just worships Bono. So, they're not my top band, but I went and um, that worship service blew them away. I, it was, it, it just, because we found what we're looking for, all right? <laughs> uh, plus, you know, if you buy a stadium for $1.2 million, wouldn't you think it would have some kind of acoustical, yeah, man, the echo in there was like, like, and I still love, the whole concert was like that. So it's, so this was way, way better than that. Thanks to Brianna for doing a great job last week. Uh, wasn't she fantastic? That lady, imagination, imagination. You know, once she learns how to be a little more comfortable on stage and gets a little more energy, she's going to be pretty good. Uh, you'll notice in the bulletin, we're really hoping that uh, the uh, North End gets built out and gets finished in the next two weeks because we're having this conference here on Cross Vision, interpreting the violent portraits of God, and we're hoping to use that for Cross Vision. Um, you'll notice in the bulletin, there's a little announcement about that, and uh, I encourage you to, if possible, check that out and come, come be part of this conference. It's going to be a, a really good time. Um, and, and whether you can go to that or not, you're invited to a party on Friday night. That'll be not this Friday, but the next Friday at O'Gara's and that famous world traveling band, Not Dead Yet, that drum is going to be there. So come and rock and roll and we'll have a good time. Finally, I want to say this. Uh, I'm sure on, on all of our hearts and minds, we have the people who have been uh, just devastated by Hurricane Harvey in Texas and now Hurricane Irma. Um, and if, if you want to give uh, to help out that relief effort, uh, we have several organizations in the bulletin that, that uh, we encourage you to direct your giving to. These are groups that, we, that we've, partnered with, we've partnered with in the past. Not all relief agencies are created equal. Uh, and, and these are ones that we've vetted. And so, so uh, Catholic Charities is, a, is obviously a ministry we work with a lot. We have some of them, their ministries housed here. Uh, the Mennonite Disaster Relief is excellent and also World Vision. And so uh, I encourage you to pray about uh, giving to help out the folks that are in need there. And those are organizations, good organizations to work through. I think that covers it for, for prelims. Are you ready to get some preaching here? Okay, so we're, we are today, uh, this weekend and next weekend, uh, doing a two-part series on the topic of hospitality. Now, I know what you're maybe thinking. Uh, it's what I thought when I first, when this was first proposed as a series. I thought, that sounds really boring and really trivial. You know, we don't need two weeks on Martha Stewart's top five tips to becoming a good hostess. <laughs> oh, really, it's like, but I assure you that when we're talking about kingdom hospitality, it goes way beyond Martha Stewart's five tips to being a good hostess. In fact, we're, we're going to see here that it's, it's a, it's a, uh, uh, it, it's, well, I'll tell you this. When I was preparing for this message, um, read, read a book and some articles and stuff like that, I was frankly, I mean, it was an eye-opening experience for me. And I spent a lot of time reading in theology and stuff, but this was eye-opening for me. And it rattled my cage. Uh, I, I, I came under some conviction over this thing. And so um, I'm hoping, I'm thinking, that that might be the case for a number of us. Uh, so my first question is, are you guys ready to get convicted? Now, I'm not talking shame, not shame or manipulation. It's just that we need to be a people who are open to the Spirit, pricking our heart, and saying it's time to adjust our lives a little bit to make more space for the kingdom, and to bring it more in alignment with the kingdom. And, um, 
these two weeks have the potential for for doing that. So just be open to this. I I often share around here that uh, one of the jobs I have as a preacher is to invite you in on my misery because I don't like to feel convicted alone. So join me on this journey. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's really something. We'll be looking at a lot of scripture uh, today and a lot of scripture next week. I'll prime the pump with one verse, Romans 12, verse 13, where Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Now, he's saying, care for the needs in the body. That's important. But don't only have an inward focus. Also have an outward focus and extend hospitality to strangers. The word he uses here, it's a very important word. Filio zenia. Filio or zenia. Everyone say, filio zenia. See, we learn Greek around here. Filio zenia. Okay, so whenever I say filio zenia, you know that I'm referring to hospitality. That word comes from a combination of two words, filio, which means love, and xenos, which means the stranger, the foreigner, or the other. A Zenos, a Zenos person is someone who's outside of your social group of, of familiar and comfortable people. Someone who is unfamiliar to you, but has a special connotation of someone who's different from you. They're, they have a different nationality, different ethnicity, different culture, maybe different religion, um, you know, different styles. And, and, and they may even seem strange to you. That's what the word stranger means. We call them a stranger because they're strange to us. So we in the kingdom are called to have this love for the stranger, the one who's different than us. Now, this is challenging because social scientists tell us that we don't naturally have a love for those who are different from us. Uh, they, they, social scientists will tell us that, that all social groups are formed by commonality and familiarity, and, and there's always an us-them dynamic to them. Uh, part of what binds a social group together is that we are this and not that. We are the people who look this way, we don't look that way. We eat this way, we don't eat that way. We talk this language, we don't talk that language. We, we, we dress this way, we don't dress that way. We believe these things, we don't believe those things. And that over and againstness is part of the cohesiveness of the group. So say the social scientists. In fact, there is a fallen human tendency uh, to uh, not only not have as much love for the stranger, you know, we tend to just love those who are familiar and comfor- that we're familiar and comfortable with, but we, we not only don't necessarily naturally love them, but we tend to be suspicious of them. That's weird. They're strange. What are they up to? Why do they do it that way? And in some circumstances, that suspicion turns into outright fear. You fear the one who's different from you. That's xenophobia. Xenos, stranger. Phobia means fear. So xenophobia is the fear of the other, fear of the one who looks different than you, uh, who's unfamiliar to you. Uh, Philiozania is the opposite of xenophobia. And right now, we're at a time, I'm sure you know, where our, the social groups tend to be getting more rigid and, and the over and against and that, uh, over and against this us and them dynamic is getting intensified and xenophobia is on the rise. That usually happens when one group is, is a dominant group in an area, but they, they, have a, they, they perceive, they sense that they're losing their dominance and fear sets in. And that is going on here in this country. We, it, we are called to love the stranger. Um, not, and not just in an abstract sense, like, oh, we just love all people and, and let's have world peace. Uh, that's wonderful. But, 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 but filiozania is a, a concrete expression of love towards the stranger in such a way that you welcome them as though, as though they're not a stranger, so they don't feel like a stranger. It's a concrete thing. And we're called to love like that. It's about making space in our life to welcome the outsider 
to make him an insider. Uh, it's about breaking down this us-them dynamic uh, to prove the social scientists wrong, that there, you can have a cohesive social body that's united about what you're for, not what you're against, and, and it's an us that's all-inclusive. And so we're entitling this two-part series, uh, There Is No Them, because we are to call to be an us without a, a them, and uh, to have an all-inclusive us that includes everybody. We're going to see that this is central to what it means to follow Jesus. And at a time in America like we are right now, where xenophobia is on the rise, I don't think you could have a more countercultural, beautiful countercultural message than, than the message we're going to have today and next week. So buckle your seats, seatbelts. I, I am today just going to give the biblical foundation for this, and then next week we'll get to some practical steps and some practices that can begin to move us uh, in the direction of becoming more hospitable to outsiders. So you find this theme throughout the Bible. Uh, Old Testament and New Testament. I want to start by reading just two passages dealing with welcoming the stranger in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy, we read this. Circumcise then the foreskin of your heart. What kind of a metaphor is that? <laughs> but it just means consecrate yourself. <laughs> really. All right. And do not be stubborn any longer. If you circumcise the foreskin of your heart, you won't be stubborn any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, hallelujah, and the Lord of lords, praise God, and the great God, the mighty and awesome, who is not partial and he takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt." powerful passage. And then Leviticus, we find, it says, when an alien resides with you, alien, by the way, we're not talking space aliens, we're talking, you know, non-Israelites. Uh, when a non-Israelite resides with you in, the, in, in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as a, the citizen among you. Treat him like a citizen. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God, and I tell you to do this. Uh, you find this theme running throughout the Old Testament. There's a number of passages where, where they're given specific instructions on how they're to love the, the foreigner and the alien. Um, uh, Deuteronomy 26 says that when you bring your harvest before the Lord, you're to consecrate 10% of it to go to help out the, the, the foreigner and those who are in need. In fact, that's how the Lord, the passage we read says, the Lord says, I will take care of the, the widow and the orphan and the alien. Well, this is how the Lord takes care of them. This is how he provides food and clothing for them because the people of God offer them up. He works through his people. And so they were there to take 10% of, of their produce and, and give it to those who are in need, including the alien. Uh, other passages uh, tell them when you harvest your, your crop, leave some of it on the field. So for people who are hungry, who don't have enough to eat, the alien, the foreigner, and those who are in need. And so in a lot of different ways, uh, the Israelites were supposed to make space to welcome in this, 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 this stranger. And the importance of this was stressed over and over again. They were told, uh, for example, that, it, that if you treat the foreigner as a citizen and love them, and if you care for the widow and the orphan and others who are vulnerable, then your land will be blessed. But if you mistreat the foreigner, if you don't treat them with respect and with dignity, if you don't consider them the same status as a citizen, and you don't care for the needy, well, then judgment will come on the land. In fact, if you read your Bible, you'll find that one of the very top reasons why nations come under judgment is because they mistreat the foreigner, they don't treat them like citizens, they don't treat them with respect, and they don't care about the vulnerable. And how I wish every American 
these days would take that to heart. Amen? But that, that, this is the call of the Israelites. It's powerful. Now, a few things that are really interesting about these passages and others that are like them. Um, it's not surprising that we find uh, a, a command to be hospitable in the Old Testament because that was common to the ancient Near East. In fact, that was common in almost all ancient cultures because this is before the hospitality industry existed. And so travelers had to rely on the good graces of strangers to welcome them in so they'd have shelter and have protection. And so, so you, you find it was a moral code to be hospitable to strangers. Um, so that, that's not surprising. What, what's surprising in the Old Testament, however, is that, is that this instruction is given to, toward, to the Israelites to treat all strangers that way. I mean, it, it, it's one thing to have a rule about if a stranger comes to your door, welcome them in. But this is to a whole category. All those non-Israelites you're to care for and, and to feed and to treat as citizens. And, and that's completely unique. What's also unique is that nowhere else do we find anything like this command to love the foreigner as yourself, to love them as yourself, and to treat them as a citizen. Uh, that, that goes way beyond, just kind of shows some a little bit of grace. Um, what, what, what the passage is saying is, you treat that foreigner as though you were that foreigner, and you treat them as though they're a fellow citizen like yourself. Um, it's just really re remarkable, uh, given the time. What's also unique uh, of these passages, about these passages is, is the reason why the Israelites are called to um, uh, treat the foreigner this way. Two reasons are given. One, they're to love the foreigner and show hospitality to the foreigner because God shows hospitality. Uh, this is what God is like. And to be the people of God means you reflect the character of God. That's what it is to be godly. You reflect the character of God. So if God is hospitable... Uh, then the people of God are, are called to be hospitable. Um, the, the Israelites were foggy about a lot of things when it, when it comes to the character of God and the will of God. Uh, they didn't have the revelation that we have. But in passages like these, you can just see the Spirit of God breaking through because uh, it, it doesn't match anything else in the culture. Uh, when, when, when you have this, this, this revelation that God shows no partiality, He shows no favoritism, He loves all people equally, that is... that. Man, in the ancient world, that's just unheard of. That, that's, and he doesn't take bribes. Now, what's unique about that is that bribes are how you got things done with the gods in the ancient world. You want the gods to do anything, you got to bribe them. You got to offer them a child or something. But, but here the Lord reveals that he's not a God who takes bribes. And he cares about the orphan and he cares about the needy. He cares about the vulnerable and he loves strangers and he loves to provide for strangers and he uses God's people to do it. That is the spirit of God breaking through. And so they're called to be hospitable because God is hospitable. The second reason given is that um, over and over again in the Old Testament, we read uh, the, the Israelites were called to remember. Remember that you also were once foreigners in the land of Egypt, and you were slaves in the land of Egypt. You know what it's like to be a mistreated foreigner in a foreign land. Don't ever treat people that way. Uh, rather, you're to do the opposite. And so you're to love them as yourself and consider them a fellow citizen. So we, we're hospitable because God is that way and because we ourselves were strangers. Now these are the same reasons given in the New Testament as to why the people of God are to be hospitable. But in light of the cross, it takes on a much more profound meaning. Um, there's a lot of passages I could read that have to do with this. I'll focus on one. Ephesians 2. Uh, here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. It says, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, that spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. But God, who is rich in mercy, I love that, but God, 
who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I love that. Amen. Then to Gentiles, specifically, he says this. Remember, that phrase again, remember, never forget this, that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Powerful passage. Let me just break it down a little bit. First, Paul says that you weren't just strangers uh, to God. You were dead. You're corpses. What he's saying is that the relationship between, uh, without Christ, the relationship between you and God is analogous to the relationship between a dead person, a corpse, and the living. Now, some of the brighter folks in the room may have noticed that corpses don't have relationships. <laughs> nothing. Nada. Nil. Zero. Zippo. Zilch. Nothing. Corpse is dead. And so what Paul is saying is that apart from Christ, we were spiritually dead. We had no relationship with God. We were, we, were, we, were, we were as alien to God as the dead are to the living. That's what he's saying. He's talking about being strangers. And that's why Paul goes on to say specifically, you, 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 were, you were strangers of the promises of God. You were aliens. You had no hope. You were without God in this world. And as if that wasn't bad enough, he says, you were in bondage to the, to the prince and power of the air. He's talking about Satan here. Uh, you were in bondage to him. And so, so he's saying that essentially you were enslaved corpses locked in the pit of hell. <laughs> We couldn't be more estranged from God than we were, more alien to God, more xenos to God than we were. But when we were xenos, God loved us. He, he showed us extravagant, filial xenia, uh, extravagant hospitality. When, when we were on the outside, he made us insiders. Uh, God looked down on us, and he had this compassion. And out of his great mercy, out of his rich mercy, out of his extravagant mercy, he raised us up with Christ Jesus. Amen? He gave us life. And out of his grace, he forgave us all of our sins. He's wiped the slate entirely clean. He destroyed the book of crimes that the devil had over our heads. And he freed us from our bondage, praise God. And, and so we who were once so far away have been brought near. So near. So near that though we were once aliens, now we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, praise God. We've been brought so near that we who once were complete outsiders, we who once were complete outsiders, we've been made insiders. In fact, not just insiders, we've been placed in Christ Jesus. And Jesus is the ultimate insider. He's, he's, an, he's as inside as you can get in the triune God. And we've been placed inside of him, so we are on the inside of the insider, praise God. We once were outsiders, but now we're hyper-insiders. Amen? And though we once were enemies of God, now because we're in Christ, we are loved with the same perfect, unwavering love that the Father has for, for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And we who once were strangers have been welcomed in, and now God has opened his treasure trove of blessing to give to us. We once were as far away from God as possible, but God loved us in that condition when we were Zenos, and now we are as close to God as possible because we're in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. To the point where God now says, everything I have, I, I open up to you. What I have is yours. Because see, when you're placed in Christ Jesus, 
Everything that belongs to Jesus by nature becomes ours by grace. We inherit the kingdom, praise God. Uh, uh, his love becomes our love. His, his, uh, his seated in heavenly places becomes our being seated in heavenly places. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. His, his blessings become our blessings. His joy becomes our joy, and his peace becomes our peace, and his throne of honor becomes our throne of honor, and his intimacy with the Father and Spirit become our intimacy with the Father and Spirit. Folks, we've been brought near. You talk about hospitality. You talk about filiozania. This is filiozania on steroids, praise God. Amen? Amen. It's beautiful. And, and we were dead, but now we participate in the resurrected life of Christ. We were, we were strangers, but now, now we sit at the table and feast at his banquet, praise God. We were, we, were, we were hostile outsiders, but now we're beloved insiders. We were strangers, but now he makes us members of his own household. He calls us beloved children. Now we're family. That is extravagant hospitality. And the thing is, folks, he didn't have to do any of that. It's by his rich mercy, which means he wasn't forced to do this. Wasn't compelled, no one compelled him to do this, and God knows we didn't deserve it. No one forced Christ to make space for these enslaved corpses. No one forced Christ to set aside his divine prerogatives so he could become a human being. No one forced Christ to agree to being turned over to wicked humans who would spit on him and mock him and beat him and crucify him. No, no one forced Christ to enter into solidarity, total solidarity with our sin, and then enter into total so that solidarity with our God-forsakenness. He became an alien. He chose to become an alien so we might become family to God. And, and it was only by his sheer mercy. God simply looked down and saw these lost aliens, these enslaved corpses, bondage in a foreign land, and that foreign land was the kingdom of darkness. And he had mercy on us and compassion on us. And, and he was willing to do everything and anything to, to, to make space for us and to open up his own triune being to welcome us to be participants in that. He was willing to do everything and anything to raise us from our self-induced death and to free us from our self-induced bondage and, and deliver us from our self-induced condemnation and relieve us of our own self-induced alien status to welcome us into the household of God forever and ever and ever. Folks, that is hospitality. That's, amen. That is love of the other, if ever there was. That, that's un, unspeakable, incommunicable, unfathomable, ridiculous hospitality. But see, this is why we are called to be hospitable. Because God is like this and we know what it's like to be strangers. We're called, in fact, to manifest the same, the same hospitality to others that God has manifested towards us. The hospitality we have received is a hospitality we're to overflow with and extend to others. Paul gets at this in, in, in Romans 15. He says this. I mean, we, we sometimes read passages like this and it's like, oh yeah, that's nice. But Think about this. Welcome one another, therefore, just as. Everyone say, just as. Just as. Just as Christ has welcomed you. I just told you how Christ has welcomed you, how Christ has welcomed us. Go thou and do likewise. Welcome others as Christ has welcomed you. Uh, he's really saying in a more specific way, specific way what, he, what Paul says in, in Ephesians 5, one of my favorite verses, when, when Paul says, imitate God. This just sums up the whole kingdom life right here. Imitate God. Be imitators of God. And if you do that, what it means is live in love just as Christ loved you and gave his life for you. Go thou and do likewise. We're to imitate God in his hospitality, in his generosity, in his self-sacrificial love. 
and extend that to all people at all times. And see, folks, if we're doing that, we will be welcoming the stranger. We will be uh, uh, sharing with those who are in need. We will be collapsing the us-them category. There'll be an us, but there will be no them because we're including them as part of us. So remembering that God made space for us and welcomed us in when we were strangers, we are to make space and welcome others who are strangers. And, and, and remembering that God was willing to sacrifice everything to share what he had with us, we are to be a people who are willing to sacrifice to share what we have with others, with others who need us to, 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 to share our, our, our riches with them. Jesus gets at this in, in, Luke, in Luke 14. He says this, Holy Spirit prepares for this one. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. Wouldn't that be terrible? But when you give a banquet, do it this way. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. In the kingdom, you're blessed when you don't get paid. <laughs> for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Let this one sit. So when you, when you throw a party and you invite the folks that are comfortable and familiar, um, you get repaid in different ways. You get repaid just because you're reinforcing a social friendship. That's kind of a payment. And you get repaid when they throw a party, they'll invite you back. You can call this quid pro quo hospitality. I'm nice to you, so you be nice to me. And, and it's the kind of hospitality that... that that we have today. It's the kind of hospitality that most cultures have had throughout history. It's certainly the kind of hospitality that was practiced in Jesus' day. You, know, you, you invite those that you're comfortable with and familiar with, and, and it's a quid pro quo kind of thing. Um, but see, the wealthy people of Jesus' time, they would never invite, throw a banquet and invite the poor and the disabled and the, the maimed and the blind. No, wealthy people invite other wealthy people. Because that's how they're going to get paid back for it. It's a quid pro quo sort of, of, of hospitality. Jesus says, um, uh, kingdom hospitality is going to be different from that. Now, I don't think he's saying that we can't ever have friendship parties. You can't ever have parties where you invite people that are comfortable and, and, and are familiar to you. Uh, he's not saying that. But he is saying that there's nothing distinctly kingdom about that. Because everybody does that. So don't pat yourself on the back for that. Don't pat yourself on the back for anything because it's all by grace. But, but that's just normal. And, and so there's no distinct kingdom reward in that. But what is distinctive is when you have an occasion where you throw, throw a party or have a meal or in some other, other venue, you, you, you do something where you invite folks that you're not familiar with, that are strange to you, uh, that, that normally wouldn't be invited to, to your kind of a party. You, you invite the poor and the disabled and the maimed and the blind. In, in the first century, those kind of folks, they didn't get invited to anyone's party. They were the nobodies. They were the invisible people. They were zenos people to everybody. And so you really put on display the character of God, the hospitality of God, when you invite those sort of folks. You make space to invite them in and, and, and share life with them. And, and so Jesus is saying that, that we, we need to have those kind of parties as well. And be inviting folks like that in on, on, uh, in on our life. Go be, buck upstream the quid pro quo hospitality and start doing outrageous kingdom hospitality. Jesus and the early church lived like this and it was beautiful. Uh, you know, Jesus, um, here he is, a holy rabbi, hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors, going to parties with them. Uh, for normal first century Jewish rabbis, um, those would be Zenos people. Those would be the aliens. You steer clear of them. But Jesus broke down that us-them dynamic and entered into solidarity with them and welcomed them into his life. 
And throughout his ministry, you know, he, he, he loved everybody. And so he went where he was invited, but rich people weren't that interested in him. So he hangs out and, and ministers to the, the least of these, the invisible people, the people on the margins, the people who are oppressed, the people who are in need, uh, the sick and infirmed. He, he spends his ministry with them primarily. And see, he's, they're manifesting the hospitality of God, welcoming in uh, others who would uh, normally not be welcomed in. And the early church imitated that because Paul tells us to imitate that. We just read it. So in the early church, one of the things that they were most known for was their outrageous hospitality. They, they swam upstream of the Roman quid pro quo hospitality system, and they invited everybody to everything. They opened up their lives to others. They welcomed others in. And they treated everybody as equals. This was one of the most crazy things in the early church. It didn't matter what your social status was, whether you're rich or poor. It didn't matter what your gender was. It didn't matter what, what, uh, you're, you're, whether you're able or disabled or what you, whether you had a good reputation or a bad reputation. It didn't matter what your ethnicity was. They just welcomed you in and treated you as equal. And the reason is because they knew that their standing before God and therefore their standing before one another is, is found in Christ. And if you have Christ in common, you've got everything in common. Nothing else really matters. And so the early church put on display that beautiful truth in the New Testament that in Christ there's neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free, neither black or white, neither American or Russian. In, in Christ, they're simply in Christ. And we've all been given unsurpassable worth, and so we all treat each other with unsurpassable worth. That's kingdom hospitality. And the early church was, was, was known for their, for, their, for their love for strangers. They went out of the way to welcome in strangers and, and to show love on strangers, especially those who were in need. They would take in orphans and widows and others who just had, you know, no way to support themselves. They didn't have, like, a great safety net in the ancient world. And so the church became that safety net. And uh, they just would take in these people and take responsibility for caring for them. And they would love them into the kingdom that way. Uh, and, and sometimes when a plague would hit a city, everybody would run from the city, including the doctors. But the Christians would stay behind and minister to the sick, uh, putting their own lives at risk for, for the other. And see... That kind of, that's distinctly kingdom, and it stands out, and people would see that. And one of the reasons why the church grew so fast in the first three centuries, even though it was an illegal religion and uh, was often persecuted, it grew at lightning speed, and it's because of the outrageous hospitality of these early Christians. Um, they loved people into the kingdom, and, and it stood out. And people wanted to be part of that and join forces with it. And in doing that, the early church, in imitating Jesus, they put on display the truth that hospitality is what the kingdom of God always looks like. They put on display this truth that, that where God reigns over a life or over a, a people group, uh, they will be reflecting the hospitality that God has extended towards them. Uh, the early church put on display the truth that the kingdom of God is always about sharing what you have with others who need you to share it with them. The kingdom of God is always about loving the xenos, loving the stranger. I, it, this doesn't mean, folks, that we can't have you know, special boundaries around intimate relationships with family and friends, as our life is supposed to be just one big open door. Uh, no, we, you need special boundaries around special relationships with family and friends. But it does mean that if you're a Jesus follower, you can't live your entire life in that safe zone, inside those parameters. It means that in the kingdom, we've got to make space for the other. Uh, we have to have context in which that allow us to put on display the hospitality of God towards those who are different from us, those we don't know, those who are in need. Uh, I, I've sometimes heard, heard people say things like, well, my ministry is to my family. 
And you do have a ministry to your family, and that is your, your first priority, for sure. But see, they're not zenists to you. Uh, they're, they're familiar and comfortable. Maybe not that familiar and comfortable, but they're still your family. Uh, and, and, and there can be times, there can be seasons where a crisis breaks out and all your time has got to be focused on them. That's legit. But that can't be your norm. There's got to be space for the other, the zenos, the unfamiliar, the stranger, the person in need. Uh, the hospitality that we've been given is a hospitality we're to extend to, uh, towards all others. We were given it when we were as strange to God as we could be. We're to be willing to give it to others who are strange to us and unfamiliar to us. Now, next week, I'll, I'll give some practical steps and some practices that help us move closer to this. But I want to close by saying two things. First, we've got to just be aware that there's so much in American culture and in Western culture in general that pushes back on this kind of kingdom hospitality. Uh, quid pro quo hospitality is fine, but this kingdom hospitality, this, the, the whole momentum of our culture goes in a different direction than this. And so what we're up against here, if we're going to be serious about becoming truly hospitable people, it's huge. We're facing a Mount Everest, and you can't expect to move Mount Everest overnight. And so we have to think in terms of baby steps. It doesn't matter where you are, it's, it's the direction you're heading. So the, a first baby step is this. I don't believe we'll ever have the kingdom significantly, the kingdom hospitality significantly manifested in our life and in, until we're cultivating kingdom hospitality in our heart and our mind. If our lives right now don't reflect uh, kingdom hospitality, it's because our heart and mind isn't oriented towards kingdom hospitality. All change in the kingdom has got to work from the inside out. So the first thing I want to do is ask you to make it part of your regular conversation with God to be asking him to help you make that space, uh, to, put, to put the other, the stranger, on your radar screen. Here's what's challenging, is that we, one of the things in this culture that, that, that works against this is that we are conditioned to be self-absorbed. We're conditioned. Our default, I mean, be honest with yourself, on a day-to-day -day basis, is it not the case that almost all of our attention and all of our concern is about our own welfare and the welfare of our loved ones? That's our default setting. Uh, there's times where we're moved with compassion towards the stranger, like these victims of the hurricanes. Uh, but on a day-to-day -day basis, we tend to be self-absorbed. And so ask God, to, on a regular basis, to free you from this American self-absorption. Uh, it's, nor it's normal. It's natural. It's good to be concerned about your welfare and the welfare of your loved ones, of course. But in the kingdom, that can't completely define us. We have to have on our radar screen, in our hearts and in our minds, the other the stranger. We've got to have space for that to happen. And so I encourage us to be cultivating that. Just broaden your attention span a little bit. Yes, be concerned about your welfare and the welfare of your family, but what about the other, the outsider? Is there space for them? And then as you're just walking through the day um, and, and, and you have the stranger in your mind, when you notice the stranger, when they, they come onto the screen of your attention, first thing is to just bless them. Privately bless them. Because we should be doing this all the time anyways. You just agree with God that they're with Jesus dying for and therefore have unsurpassable worth, and you just bless them. And then, then uh, if the occasion arises and look for the opportunity, you just gr you greet them. You greet them, and you communicate to them their worth by how you greet them. It will never happen if they're not on our radar screen. Jesus talks about, it says it this way in, in Matthew 5. He says, if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing that more than others? They're not even the Gentiles, the pagans. Don't, everyone does that. 
Everybody greets those that they're friendly with and familiar with and comfortable with. But in the kingdom, our attention, our consciousness has to be expanded to include the other, to make space for the other. And so go out of your way to greet them, to welcome them, to communicate to them their worth, that you're happy to see them. Uh, and then, then just rely on the Spirit uh, who... Be open to the Spirit showing you other ways that you can show hospitality to these folks. And maybe something big or maybe something very small. Maybe it may be that the Spirit will lead you to invite them over for dinner or take them out grocery shopping or help them out, you know, whatever they're working on. It could be that. But it could be something really small, but those small things that express hospitality can be very, very meaningful. I think I shared a couple of weeks ago that there's a, a gas station by my house in St. Paul that is, so far as I can tell, run by a, a, several Middle Eastern families. And it's all Middle Eastern people that work there, and they're always talking Arabic to each other. And so I have lived down there for 12 years now, but I just decided to learn a little bit of Arabic so I could greet them in their own language. And so I come in now and I go, Salaam Alaikum! And they have, Malaikum Salaam! And, uh, Okay, so I, I've been doing that for, for a couple months now. And several weeks ago, one of them said to me, they said, he said, I want to thank you for doing that. You know, he's known me for 12 years, and I just started speaking Arabic, so that's new. So he says, thank you. <laughs> he said, thanks. Uh, that, 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 that makes us feel a little more welcome. And see, I think that's meaningful in that I suspect that there are other contexts where they get subtle or not-so-subtle expressions that they're not welcome. Uh, and so those little gestures can make a great deal. Make space for the other. Greet the person you don't know and the one who's, who's, who's different than you. And by the way, I'll just say, this applies when we come together on the weekend for weekend services. Um, I almost want to say it especially applies when we come together on the weekend services because if we can't welcome the stranger here, how are we ever going to become proficient about doing it out there? Amen? And so I encourage you... When we come together, when we come together, you come to receive and to participate in worship. But if this is your, if this is your spiritual body, will you come also with, with, a, with a commitment uh, to manifest the kingdom to, towards others? And, and so come with a commitment, not just to greet those that you're comfortable with and familiar with, but to greet somebody, welcome somebody that, that you don't know, that maybe is different than you. Uh, and I'm, I'm saying go a little beyond what we do when we sit down. You know, we welcome each other and talk about what was good about summer. That's great. It's a great start. Baby steps, wonderful. But uh, go over and introduce yourself and, and really make them feel welcome. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is Kingdom 101. This is, this is Hospitality 101. Um, and, and it ought to be the case, if we're really all about God's love, and, and that's what we preach here all the time because that's all about the kingdom, then, then this ought to, we ought to, Man, we ought to get together and smother each other with hospitality. It ought to be impossible to come here and not feel welcome. Amen? And you don't know a thing about this person. You don't know if they've been here for 20 years or for this is their first time or if they're having a great season of their life or if they're going through a crisis. Uh, but that's the point. You don't know. They're, from, they're zenith to you, and therefore reach out to them and greet them and welcome them and make them feel at home. Uh, and, and, and see, if we do that consistently and we each do our part, uh, we will be increasingly a people who are an us, but without a them. Uh, make everyone feel like an us. Wherever they're at, whatever the background is, doesn't matter. Make them feel part of us. Okay, the second thing I want to say real quick is this. Uh, we need to then think, start thinking about, uh, in a baby step kind of way, how to carve out space. 
in our life. We've been conditioned by American self-absorption, so the, all of our space is usually reserved for us and our loved ones and our friends. Um, we've got to make space. Uh, one great way to think about carving out space in your life is to think about joining a ministry, uh, volunteering at one of our ministries. Great way to meet people you don't know, great way to serve people you don't know, that's hospitality. You might think about uh, becoming a greeter, one of our greeters here. That's hospitality ministry. Uh, you might think about volunteering at the refuge. They can always use more help. Uh, we have prayer teams you could join. We have children's ministry, echo ministry, resonate ministry. You could volunteer at the food shelf. They're always looking for more help. A great way to serve others that you don't know. Uh, we have a daycare here that, 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 that could, uh, could, could use your help. Um, and, and in all these ways, you're meeting people you don't know, Zenos, and you're, you're, you're crossing that boundary, and uh, you're welcoming them, and you're showing hospitality to them. You might also consider, as a final thing, uh, joining a growth group. Uh, we've got these growth groups here where people just learn together and grow together and, 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 and challenge each other and support one another, and it's, it's a beautiful kingdom thing. We used to always, we used to facilitate all these small groups. Uh, and, and here's the thing, is that we found that small groups, especially the ones that worked well, uh, you know, they developed a kind of special bond with each other. And the minute you have a special bond with one another, you tend to put boundaries around it, right? And, and that's not bad. Uh, it's good to have close friends. And there's an intimacy that you have there that you don't have with others. And that's, that's legit. But we didn't want to... That's normal. That, that's what people do. It's not distinctly kingdom. And we wanted to have distinctly kingdom groups. So these groups come together. And, and best friends can grow out of these groups. But the, the groups themselves are always open to others and welcoming of others. And, uh, and when they get too big for, to operate, they just multiply. Keep on multiplying. So if you're not in one of these small groups, I encourage you to consider joining one of these. Great way to meet strangers and to welcome them in, even as you yourself are a stranger who's being welcomed in. So folks, um, bottom line, when we were utter aliens to God... God showing his extravagant grace, extravagant filio, zenus. He welcomed us in and made us insiders. And when we were in need, God did whatever it took to meet that need, to share what he has with us, to open up his treasure trove to us. And now God says, go thou and do likewise. This is what it is to be the people of God. Uh, we, we, we don't know how far down the rabbit hole this is going to go, how, what kind of adjustments this might make in our life, what, where this road's going to lead us. But we start with baby steps. And so the baby steps are make space in your heart and mind. Ask God to free you from this American self-absorption so you have on your radar screen the other and a heart for the other and to care about the other. And then to bless the other and to greet the other and to follow the Spirit and how you show hospitality to the other. Uh, the hospitality that we have received, folks, and it's, as you can see, extravagant, the hospitality we've received is a hospitality we're to extend to all others, the unfamiliar, the stranger, the needy. Amen? Would you stand? All right. Uh, if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, I want to encourage you to come up here and pray with our prayer teams. They'll be up here by the stairs. They would love to minister to you. Um, and if you're here this morning and you're not a devoted follower of Jesus, but there's something going on in the inside of you that's saying you should check that out, I encourage you to check that out. Just come up here and talk to these folks and they'd love to explain to you what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So folks, as we leave here today, can we do it as a people that are committed to making space for the other? Uh, can we do it as a people that are committed to extending to others the love and hospitality that God has extended to us? If you agree with that, say amen and go out and be hospitable starting now. Amen. God bless you guys.